Welcome to KG Education's Cultivating Connection podcast, enlightening conversations and guided meditations to inspire and connect educators. I'm Leah Oback. And I'm Devin Caldwell. We're the Kenton Girls, and together we make up KG Education. Through interviews and self-care practices, we'll share our passion for professional learning, wellness, and community to cultivate connections for educators everywhere. We believe that teachers are stronger and more impactful educators when they're connected and cared for, and it's our mission to support you with teaching, technology integration, and teacher wellness. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our website at kgeducation.ca. Connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. And now for the most recent episode of our podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Cultivating Connection podcast. I'm so excited to be here with my colleague and teacher best friend, Leah Oback, to talk about graduate programs in education for teachers. It's something we get asked about all the time, and we thought we would dedicate an entire podcast episode to it today. So Devin and I have both done um, our master's degrees. Devin's currently working on her PhD. And we just wanted to start uh, a little bit uh, with some sharing about why we did these things, what we liked about them, what was challenging about them, uh, to give you an idea of the background that we are coming to you with today. So uh, I did a master's degree in educational technology and design. I did a fully online program at the University of Saskatchewan. And uh, it was kind of my own pacing in my situation. I did it while working full time. So that was one of my biggest challenges was managing my time commitment and um, figuring out how to be disciplined enough to commit the time to do the work that I needed to do for my degree while also being committed to my classroom and teacher responsibilities. However, I absolutely love learning, and that is the biggest reason that I did it, is I think ongoing learning and growth is so important for us as educators. I'm passionate about educational technology um, and wanted to continue to learn and grow in that area and felt I was ready for the next step of taking on a graduate program to enhance my learning. So my journey through graduate work in education is a little bit different. Um, I was kind of the last of the four-year Bachelor of Education program, so I followed that up with a graduate diploma in special education because I was really interested in special education, as it was known then. We more often use the term inclusive education now, and resource teacher work. So I did a one-year graduate diploma, and I don't believe Brandon University even offers a graduate diploma anymore. I could be wrong, but it is similar to what's known as a post-baccalaureate, and I know that that's still offered at other universities. So that's like one year of graduate work, but isn't a master's. Um, So I did a graduate diploma in special education, and then I took another year to turn it into a master's degree, so another 30 credit hours, and completed a master's degree in inclusive education. And that was while working full-time. And Leah worked full-time while she did hers, I know, and a lot of teachers do. Um, My one piece of advice for you would be never take more than one course at a time if you are working full-time, because it's very challenging. Um, To finish mine um, within the time frame I wanted to, I did take two courses at once, and it really pushed me to my limits for sure with my responsibilities at school. So I think I finished my master's in 2009, and 
I think I would say like one of the challenges was balancing the workload with my professional responsibilities as a teacher. But probably my very favorite part about it was it was all in person, largely. And I got to make so many wonderful connections with other Manitoba teachers. And some of those people I'm still in close contact today. So like the learning with the people in your class is often even better than what you're learning from the instructor. So I took a few years off and it had been a dream of mine to pursue a PhD. And I couldn't decide for the longest time if I wanted to do it or not. And finally, I just kind of thought, well, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So I started my PhD program in the fall of 2017. And at that time, online PhD programs were a total rarity. There was a big belief that you needed to be attending in person in residence to do a PhD. The pandemic has changed that um, for better or for worse. It certainly made PhD programs more accessible anyway. Although I would hate to give up those in-person experiences with my cohort. So I did one year of PhD courses in person um, all PhD programs require a certain number of courses. It varies from program to program. Then I had to do what's called candidacy exams or comprehensive exams. And those are like huge written papers that are followed by a defense. And now I am working on my dissertation. So I had to do a dissertation proposal that had to be accepted by my committee. Then I collected data for nearly a year. And now I'm just writing it all up in the hopes that I'm going to finish in 2022. So it's been a long journey. Um, there's not a lot of people who really breeze through a PhD program in education in less than four years, four to five years is the average. So it's kind of where I'm at today. I'm in my fifth year and hoping to finish this year. So something that uh, our listeners might not know a lot about is that there are some different types of graduate programs. So can you, we've already mentioned like yours was uh, in person, mine was online, but can you explain some of the other things to consider about different types of graduate studies? Yeah, I mentioned post-baccalaureate programs and graduate diploma programs, master's programs, um, either in person or online. And there's lots of different things out there that I would recommend checking out depending on what you're interested in. Um, because I'm an early year teacher primarily, I know of a lot of colleagues, not necessarily Manitoba ones, but BC colleagues, who have done additional courses through Queen's University. They have a great early childhood kindergarten program that's kind of like module or level based that I know a lot of people have spoken really highly of. There's also different like cohort programs out there and a cohort is when a group of people start at the same time and basically progress through the program together in similar courses, maybe with some different electives. Um, and that's kind of versus a self-paced master's. When I did my master's, I encountered many of the same people, but I was working at my own pace and taking some different courses. Whereas I'm actually involved in a cohort program at University of Victoria that starts this summer, where everyone who is part of it will be coming together in person, and then they will be taking many of the same courses together at the same time. So cohort programs are really nice in that you get to know a group of colleagues really well. So I think that's kind of something something well worth considering. Um, there's also, you may have heard of an EDD versus a PhD. Um, EDD stands for Doctor of Education, whereas PhD stands for Doctor of Philosophy. And kind of the big difference is a Doctor of Education or EDD is more of a professional degree designed for practitioners who want to pursue educational leadership roles. 
Whereas a PhD in education is generally more strictly focused on academia and it's designed to prepare graduates for research and teaching roles within academia. So I think you need to consider where your interests lie. If you want to continue working within a school system, possibly an EDD is a better choice for you. Whereas if you want to make the jump to academia and research, a PhD might be a better fit. But those are two different programs out there. So a question we're often asked is like, do you think I should take my master's? Should I start this? What do I need to know before I begin? So um, Devin and I have actually put together some factors to consider before uh, starting a graduate studies program. And one of the biggest things um, is that this is a different decision for everyone. Everyone's timeline looks different. I think we're both very glad that we did um, our master's programs and that Devin's engaged in her PhD program, but there's definitely some things to think about before you get started. Um, so the biggest one is, do you feel comfortable enough with your classroom responsibilities to take on more on top of that? So for me, I had worked um, as a teacher for seven years before I started my master's degree, and that was the right fit for me. I had initially thought I would start it much sooner, um, but it it felt better once I had a few years of experience and I was more established in my teaching role. But on the flip side, we've also noticed it's sometimes um, easier to consider to continue your studies when you've already in the habit of like reading research and writing papers and being a student. So there's kind of a flip side to that one too. There's lots of um, considerations with the time frame you're looking at as well. And when you enroll in a master's program or a graduate program, sometimes there's a time limit saying how long you have to complete the program. So I know often with master's programs and PhD, um, you're given seven years to complete. And beyond that, you would need to kind of like apply for an extension from the university. So knowing if you can complete your desired program within that time frame is an important consideration. And it's something that, you know, is really a personal decision that can only be made by you. And it's also really important if you're planning to do it the way Devin and I did our master's and just take one course at a time because it does really um, stretch it out longer than if you are going to become a full-time student and dedicate all of your time to that. Um, another thing to consider is checking for something called continuous enrollment requirements. Um, so sometimes universities will require that once you begin a program, you must maintain continuous enrollment or sign up for a course every semester. Or if you choose not to take a course that semester, you'll still be paying a fee to maintain your spot. So I know that this was the case for my program and it wasn't just two semesters, it was actually trimesters. So I had to take three courses per year, one per, per trimester, um, either that or I was paying to hold my spot. So for me, that meant that um, I didn't wanna pay to hold my spot. I wanted to take three courses, one in each trimester. So fall, winter, summer, each year of my program. Yeah, that continuous enrollment, it really is a factor. When I did my master's at Brandon University, I paid per course. I don't know if that's changed or not. It would be easy enough to find out. In my PhD program, I also um, have to deal with continuous enrollment and always paying tuition no matter what. So, I mean, if that doesn't light a fire under you to complete a program, I don't know what does. 
So um, I think that you've got to strike that balance between how long can you afford to keep paying tuition if it's continuous enrollment versus your sanity and how you can balance everything that you need to do between holding down your teaching job and working on graduate studies. Yeah. And sometimes there's also exceptions like leaves of absence that you can take during your program, but you just want to do that research ahead of time and know what you're getting into. Um, I think another big factor and one of the big reasons I waited longer than I thought I might to do my program was um, you really want to think about, is there a program of study with a topic you're really passionate about? Um, so for me, some of the uh, master's programs that I looked at initially were in things like administration, um, special education or inclusive education curriculum, uh, which are all very practical and useful, but for me wasn't where I wanted to continue my studies. So the thing that really decided it for me was when I found out about um, the educational technology and instructional design program because it was an area I was so passionate about. I was willing to commit the time and the effort and the money to doing the program. So I think don't take that decision lightly. Really think about what you want to learn more about because it is a really big commitment on many levels. PhD programs work a little bit different. It's not always really about the institution as much as it is the professors and scholars that are employed there. So when you are researching PhD programs, of course you need to see what universities offer them, but then you need to look at who works at them and what they study and how their interests and areas of expertise might be might put them in a position to be your mentor or supervisor. So before I applied to University of Victoria, I actually had to find um, a mentor there or a supervisor who was willing to take me on. And it's almost like an interview process. Once they confirm that you'd be a good fit, then you apply to the university and hopefully the university accepts you. So it's a little bit different at the PhD level. I think another really big consideration is if you feel disciplined enough to set aside your time um, on evenings, weekends, holidays to work on your university courses, especially if you're planning to do this while also working full-time or part-time. Um, sometimes if you are doing a more structured program, those times will be set for you and you have to know that you're available for class every Tuesday and Thursday at a certain location or online. And sometimes um, it's more flexible. Like in my case, many of my courses, um, I had weekly deadlines, but what day of the week I completed my coursework was up to me and my schedule. Uh, however, um, you need to think about if you're willing to sacrifice the other activities in your life to focus on your studies because that time has to come from somewhere. And that might be time with family and friends. It might be time from your hobbies. It might be all of the above. So uh, we just know from experience that that is not something to be taken lightly and to really think about uh, if it's going to work for you. I would say definitely doing a self-paced online program took an exceptional amount of self-discipline just because it was less structured. Um, and if that's something that seems like a challenge for you, you might want to consider a more structured program that has scheduled class times and a cohort for support. Uh, but either way, you've got to know that you can uh, carve that time out of your schedule somewhere. I think taking the time to know your work style and how you work best is really key. Um, are you someone who like likes to work on something every single day? Are you someone who like likes to dedicate like huge chunks of time and immerse yourself in it? Figuring out what my work style was was really important. It's recommended in PhD programs that you spend two hours a day minimum writing. And that can seem daunting. I try and do that, spend 
my commitment to myself is I do something every day for my PhD program. And then as deadlines get closer and closer, I go from two hours a day to four hours a day. And just as I recently was completing my literature review, I was pulling like eight and 10 hours a day just to get something done on time, even though I've been working on it for, for months. So yeah, you really can't underestimate the time commitment and just kind of the inner knowledge of, you know, motivation and what your work style is. That's really key. I think one other thing to consider before you commit to a program is just research all of your program options really carefully. Look at what's available from different places. Um, consider the online versus in-person. Understand what the requirements are for your program, like we talked about um, tuition, continuous enrollment, um, what topics are available, who are the staff um, and professors that you're going to be learning from. Uh, because it is a big commitment and there's a lot out there. So taking your time to really research the programs available and see what's out there is really worth it if you're going to take the plunge. And there could be big variations in tuition as well as student experiences. So check out the cost of tuition. And also, if you can, talk to someone who actually went to that institution or was in that program. That can give you a lot of insight. We wanted to finish off today's podcast by talking about some tools and strategies for being successful in graduate studies. And um, sometimes these are only um, really figured out through trial and error, what works for you. But just to maybe save you from going through all of that, um, Leah and I wanted to share some of our favorites with you today. So if you're taking the plunge and you are starting your graduate studies or maybe they're already underway for you, um, these are a few of the tools and strategies that we think will support you best. So something that was really important for me is choosing my dedicated workspace. Um, at the start of my program, it was my kitchen table because that was what, avail what was available and I would have a space I could set up there, sit down, be comfortable, get some work done. I feel like my productivity was really enhanced once my husband renovated our home office and that became my hub for work. And I just, um, there's something to be said for a context kind of triggering um, an activity, right? So when I came into my office, I knew it was my time to focus, to work. I could close the door, eliminate some distractions. And I knew that this was my workspace. And I think really having an area set up to support your work is um, great, whether it's temporary, like my kitchen table, or if it's a more permanent solution, like an office space. If you're really immersed in a big project, you need to have a place where you can leave your stuff out. Um, I My dedicated workspace is in my basement. And if you came down here right now, you would see all of the piles I have organized, the post-it notes I have stuck to the wall, and just all of the materials that I, I almost have to leave out. Otherwise, I spend however much time setting it all up again. Um, finding ideal times to work is also something that really only you know about you. But I would highly recommend, like at least for me, if I get up and work for 90 minutes before I go off to school, I get more done in that 90 minutes than I do if I try and work for like three hours after school and I'm tired and exhausted. So I know I'm sharpest and most productive first thing in the morning. And I think there's also something to be said for, um, what's that expression, like eating the frog, like get up and do the thing. Because if you get up and do it, then you feel good about it all day because you've already done something towards your big goal. A strategy that both of us have adopted, not just for graduate studies, but for all things productivity, um, is actually something Devon started doing. It's called Pomodoro Technique. 
And it's basically an, a, a technique to be efficient with your focus work. The idea is simply to set a timer, eliminate all distractions for focus work time and work until the time expires. When the time expires, you take a short break and usually you're going to repeat this um, about three times before you take a longer break. So we've both had a lot of success with this strategy um, and it's just something you can implement super simple, um, set a timer on your phone, your computer, whatever works for you, then eliminate that distraction. If you are setting the timer on your phone, get it out of your sight and just go ahead and focus on work. And you can almost kind of trick yourself when you don't feel like working. Like I'll just say to myself, like, okay, Devin, you just have to do one Pomodoro. And if you don't want to do any more, at least you've done one. And I find that by the time I get to the end of that one Pomodoro, I'm back into the work zone and I'm good to keep going. Um, I also really have to minimize distractions. So I put my mobile phone out of sight. If I don't see it, I don't think about it. And I also use things to help me concentrate. I'm big into essential oils. So I have certain essential oils I apply and diffuse. I also have a three hour playlist that is actual like focused music, like binaural beats. I do that. And that just kind of drowns out any of the sounds in my house. And I find those things are, are really helpful to keep me on track. I also have my yoga mat um, right near where I work. And so sometimes on my Pomodoro breaks, I just hop up and take a movement break because I get stiff from sitting so much. There's also a few tools, technology tools that we've used that have really supported our studies. Uh, something that Devin introduced me to is Mendeley. Um, it's a great tool for keeping track of your research articles and also creating citations in a variety of formats. It's got um, like an app you can download to your desktop computer and also a web extension. So you can grab those articles um, right off of the website that you're working with and just has saved us a huge amount of time to organize our research that way. What's a real game changer with Mendeley is if you install the word plugin and then every time you cite, you just search in the little sidebar in Word for the citation you want it plugs it in and then it automatically generates your reference list without you doing anything. It's not always perfect. I just actually spent an hour and a half today reviewing my references and you know tweaking a few things, but it is saves you so much time otherwise. So we highly recommend Mendeley. I've also heard colleagues talk favorably of Zotero as well. Um, we always love our Microsoft tools. I was kind of late to the party with spreadsheets. Leah's always been like super proficient with Excel, but I was um, really excited with what I could do with Excel and organizing my literature review. So I created like a master um, table of all the articles I'd read. And then I created sheets where I would just copy and paste um, each article based on the theme. So it, I, could develop like this master list and then I could organize it all thematically and then when it was time to write a literature review everything was organized for me and I would just put in like the important details of the study and then five key quotations in excel and that works beautifully for me. I also use the Microsoft products probably the thing I use the most is just OneDrive so that I had everything backed up and stored online in the event that something did happen to my computer you do not want to be in the middle of a research paper or an assignment and suddenly lose your file or have your computer damaged. So I made sure everything was organized by course um, in my OneDrive storage so that I could easily find assignments and edit them. And even now I often go back because I'll be like, oh, I remember I, I read something or researched something. 
um, and then I know where they are, which is really handy. Like I'm so paranoid right now with my dissertation that not only is it saved in OneDrive, which is what I primarily use, every time I finish working, I now upload a copy of it to Google Drive. So it's in two places. Plus it's saved locally on my desktop. So, I mean, you cannot be careful enough. Um, my favorite Microsoft product of all time would be OneNote. And if you're going to start graduate courses, what I'd recommend is using OneNote for every course. So I created like a digital binder called doctoral studies. I created a section for each course. And then every time I went to class was a page within that section. And I still look up information in that based on what course I learned it in. And I could like photograph any papers I got and just put it straight into OneNote. So useful, web-based, app-based, available on your phone. And then I also use OneNote for structuring all my papers. So writing my literature review, for example, I will make a page for each theme. And then as I get ideas when I'm reading, I copy and paste them into the relevant section of the OneNote. So then when it's time to actually write the literature review, I refer to my ideas in OneNote that are more about big ideas and phrasing. And then I refer to my Excel, which is all of my individual research articles. So I can't recommend OneNote enough. Um, as you can see, I get pretty excited talking about the tools that make life easier for me. Um, I've recently started using a few new ones. One is called Researcher. You can get a free account and then you basically identify your search terms. So for me, I have like primary teacher practice, technology integration, pandemic teaching practice. Those might be my search terms and it constantly searches for you. And every time it finds a newly published article, it adds it into your feed. And then you can go in and save the articles that look relevant. And you can either like grab them from your university library or, or locate them wherever. So that's a beautiful tool because it helps you stay current on new research. I also love connected papers. If you find a really, really good paper and you want to know if there's more research about that topic that's current um, or by that author, you can just copy and paste the citation into connected papers and it gives you all of the articles that are related and little um, abstracts for all of them. Another site that does a similar thing is Research Rabbit. So I totally recommend connected papers or Research Rabbit as well. So just to recap, Microsoft tools, OneNote, Excel, and OneDrive, Mendeley for your citations, and then, of course, Researcher, Connected Papers, and Research Rabbit are my new three favorites. So we hope you've taken away something valuable uh, from this episode, something to think about. And of course, we'd uh, love to hear from you if you're currently in the Graduate Studies Program or you're thinking about it. Feel free to reach out to us on social media. We're at kgeducation.ca or send us a message. We'd be really curious to hear uh, what your experiences are and what tips you have. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for tuning in today. You can find more information about today's topic in the show notes. If you know another educator who'd enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. And give us some feedback too. We'd appreciate your rating and review in the app you're using to listen to this. Keep growing, learning, and taking care of yourself. The world needs educators like you.